now it's recording. Ladies and gentlemen, we have liftoff. For the last five minutes, Holstclaw's been yelling at his computer, Why are you not working? <laughs> I, don't, I take two months off. I, we take two months off of this podcast. <laughs> he I forget. His computer. He forgot I forget how, how to like set it all up. I don't know how it's going. Of course, I'm no one to like you know throw stones uh, from glass houses because, of course, I don't know anything about what you're doing. And, and, and with that in mind, we do have a bit of a an announcement to make at the end of this podcast, don't we, Jeff? Holtzclaw? We do. We have huge news about the future of the Theology on Mission podcast, but we're going to save that because we also have huge news breaking here in you the Christian like subworld. Breaking news. Today uh, is the second day of the Global Leadership Summit, which is hosted by Willow Creek and the Willow Creek Church Association. And uh, we thought we'd uh, jump in. Actually, you thought. You were like, Holscott, we got to do a summer episode right now. Yeah, and it was hard to get a hold of you. You're it was. I'm a busy guy right now. That's so true. I mean, uh, you're busier than uh, just about anybody I know. I was going to say, Bill, never mind. I'm not going to go there. Oh, no. Sorry. <laughs> pretty busy, I, too. I All right. So we're talking about Bill Hybels. We're talking about the spiritual, moral formation of leadership and the systems that are created in and around and create the leader themselves. So uh, let's do what they call in the news business a TikTok. You know what a TikTok is? I have no idea. It's a rehearsal of events. How did we get here? How did we get to where we are right now over the last four months or so? I think evangelicalism as a whole, and this is not just United States evangelicalism, but worldwide is in shock at uh, all the developments that have happened at Willow Creek that started with some revealings back in March of women accusing the senior pastor leader of this movement, Bill Hybels, of sexual misconduct. And, you know, uh, it's just so hard to talk. Well, in in one respect, it's very difficult to even talk about it because, frankly, it's so sad. Uh, It's sad on a number of different levels, but uh, it's not only sad for Bill Hybels, sad for Willow Creek Church and everyone who belongs to that place. Uh, it's not only sad for the family of Bill Hybels, and we we want you to know we're praying for you all out there, uh, both the families involved and, and Willow Creek. But it's sad day for Christianity as a whole in the United States because so many people have looked to that place. People have never darkened the door of a church uh, have seen positive things happen and have looked to Willow Creek as a sign of Christianity. And so now when I walk into McDonald's, um, the Willow Creek uh, um, debacle has uh, cast a a sheen of shame on Christianity and people are, you know, shaking their heads going, "Uh uh-huh, see, we told you so. It was all what it wasn't supposed to be, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I think it's just a setback for for so many people, including the witness of the gospel in the United States. Is that an overstatement, Jeff Holson? Uh I don't know. I don't know. So this week, uh, more allegations came forward through an explosive New York Times piece. Uh, then one of the new kind of co-senior leaders stepped down, Carter. Is that right? Steve and Carter. Steve yeah. Carter. Uh, stepped down on Monday, and then just at the opening of the Global Leadership Summit, 
the entire uh, board stepped down, as well as the other co-leader, the woman, um, Heather, Heather Larson, yeah. uh, also stepped down. And so both of the senior leaders that were taking Bill's place in the entire board have now stepped down yeah. uh, right at the opening of the Global Leadership Summit. And, and so, so this we're is at a the big point of a crisis here of, of monument. Really, it's hard to overstate the 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 crisis uh, that this causes at Willow Creek. Never mind uh, for the many churches that look to Willow Creek for direction and leadership and what they do. And just uh, earlier this week, a, a, a colleague here at Northern Seminary walked into our, our office, my office, while you and I were talking, and just sat down and asked, "How does this happen?" Remember that. She said, how, how does this kind of thing happen? What could have prevented it? Yeah, and so th- so uh, what we wanted to do in this podcast is just uh, throw out a few uh, kind of post-Willow Creek crisis uh, reflections as to what I think the issues are that we need to think about and learn from uh, after the, the Willow Creek debacle is over. And so the first thing I would like to say, and this has been, this has been a bit of a source of consternation on my uh, Facebook page and Twitter. Oops, sorry about that, folks. My phone is not turned off. Holesclaw, don't make fun of me. Rookie mistake. But, Actually, Mike's not uh, muted either. <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, I put on Facebook uh, this this uh, comment. Uh, this was a couple days ago. Supposedly, we're told Willow Creek needed more accountability. But Bill Hybels had accountability. In fact, during the years, he's often talked about the accountability group of other like pastors who re- meet regularly to uh, hold each other accountable. Uh, but I said what we need is a different kind of accountability, one not built on hierarchy, dare I say patriarchy, uh, business-modeled leadership, but instead an accountability based in mutual submission. Uh, my whole point here is is that when you have a structure based on hierarchy, that is a senior pastor put in charge over uh, staff and and for that matter congregation you create systems that distance the senior pastor above the rest of the people and make him the um, uh, the celebrity or the the person the orbit around which everything goes and this person has all sorts of pressures built in that separate him from accountability that separate him from mutuality from people telling him the truth about himself and actually it creates uh, an aura about him um he becomes untouchable he's the great one and this dynamic i contend creates uh, the not only the possibilities but the probabilities of moral failure. There are people who um, will be able to avoid moral failure in this in this design of leadership, but I think it just creates the propensity. You know, there are three great sins: sex, uh, sex, money, and power. Mark Driscoll had the same hierarchy, and he fell out of his coerciveness. There are others, names I won't mention, who have fallen on uh, basically in their moral character in relation to money and finances, and we lose our ability for mutuality, wherein discipleship and growth can take place. I declare the whole leadership structure of the global leadership uh, uh, summit, almost forgot what that it was, uh, the GLS 
uh, I contend that whole leadership structure needs to be examined for the way it shapes and forms uh, leaders into moral failure. And this isn't for this isn't just Bill Hybels or pastors of churches of ten thousand people or twenty thousand or thirty thousand people. This happens to pastors in much smaller churches where the pressure of being the right guy. This is usually a male-dominated situation. The right guy. Uh, the pressures of having all the right answers. I've known and talked to various pastors, even of small churches, who just have this overwhelming pressure. I have to know everything. I have to be the smartest guy in the room. I need to have all of my theological ducks in a row. I can't ever waver. I can't ever have show doubt because then the system will collapse because they feel the pressure from their board or from their giving or uh, from the parents of the youth. And so uh, this isn't just something that happens in ginormous churches. It happens right. all over the place. Hierarchy when- is endemic to the church of Christendom worldwide. And again, what I want to say is when you put a pastor up above everybody else, you create distance and you lack the systems of mutuality where the pastor can actually hear. Uh, and look, there's no pastor who's perfect. Hello. Um, um, we all have problems and issues that we have to sort out. If you isolate the pastor unto himself with no uh, community by which he or she can grow and learn about their sin, uh, that pro- probably whatever that sin is is going to grow into a monster and you're going to have a moral failure on your hands eventually. So if we say, uh, if we were to kind of break it down to its very minimal form, who's at fault? Is it the church at fault? Is Willow Creek as a whole at fault? Or is Bill at fault? Uh, everybody's at fault. Um, why? So why isn't it just because <clears throat> Bill, bit by bit, inch by inch, gave into a growing whatever, sense of mis- sexual misconduct, kept getting away with it, kept growing. He should have, uh, he should have, uh, What's the scripture from James? He should uh, depart from sin. He should flee from yeah. the devil. Like, yeah. Can't we um, just be more vigilant in our in our yeah. uh, holiness and so, our character? So hey, no one's saying Bill is not at fault, and and you could say he's even more at fault because he's the one who created this leadership machine in the first place. But we must understand the dynamic that we put every one of our pastors in when we set them up above the congregation. Um, And we expect them to be an example and lead out of their moral leadership. And by the way, because that expectations pressures put on them, their character flaws, as I said in the great giveaway in that chapter on leadership, their character flaws are revealed at great personal Peril. If you you're you are very tempted not to tell everybody about your issues in your marriage or your issues in say your thought life or the ways you've been tempted in this area or that area or the problems that are going on in your finances or maybe an addiction of some sort. You don't want to tell that to anybody because you lose your authority and you lose your job and everything and the rug gets pulled out from underneath you. And so this is what happens when you place a leader above a congregation. And I then would add worse they have no place to work out their salvation with fellow believers because you've set them above everybody and they can't reveal 
their issues and their problems. And I contend you get desensitized. And you don't even realize. And, and then when you get praised over and over again, and you so Bill Hybels gets put up on this pedestal, pretty soon he starts believing the headlines about himself. And he gets desensitized to what he's actually doing. He becomes an island unto himself, a narcissist. And so, folks, I'm saying, I'm pleading, let's take a look. Let's everybody take a look at what you're doing to your pastors and call them out of that and say, do you need a group of three to four people that you know well and that you can mutually submit to and tell your worst sins and all your thoughts without getting condemned or removed by, uh, you know, a committee because you dared admit you lusted after such and such or you overspent on such and such or you have a debt now, a gambling problem, such and such. We need to have spaces for pastors to work out their salvation in fear and trembling. Amen to that. Amen. So, and I don't want to jump too far ahead. You know, I'm very practical and action-oriented. So we have um, people in churches. Maybe we have pastors listening to Theology on Mission. What would what would we tell them? How do you start turning the ship? How do you kind of uh, protect against this kind of culture from being built up in local churches? Well, dude, uh, I can just tell you out of my own uh, pastoral life, and by the way, you pretty much know. There's no kidding anybody in this room. <laughs> I'm not, pretty much, you just get Jeff and Dave pr- in a room for 10 years yelling at each other, and all of a sudden, <laughs> they're better men for it. <laughs> okay, we all know Fitch has his You too, faults. Matt Tebby, if you're listening. Okay, Matt Tebby, you know what I'm talking about. But, uh, no, we need to be, first of all, uh, openly inviting people to speak truth in love into our lives. We all remember... I don't know if you were there or not, that first men's group meeting. I don't know if it was the first one, but it was certainly within the first couple of months at Life in the Vine when we were just starting the church, and I asked a few people to tell me. Uh, I said, I opened my arms, and I said, I need to hear what you're thinking. You're, the thing that you've always wanted to say to me, but you were afraid to tell me, I need to know. Tell me what you're thinking, where you think uh, I have sinned against you, but more importantly, just what what issues I have to deal with in my life. And Mark Bloomquist says, what? You want us to tell you? You're the pastor. And I I said something like, hell yes. I want to tell you to tell me what you think. You think I want you walking around thinking these things about me without me knowing? And that, I think, broke the ice. And I think we need to do that as pastors. Find a group of people, men or women or both, that can speak truth into our lives with love and compassion. Second thing is, I think we ought not to feign our perfections and that we're always perfect in front of people. So I used to always talk about my latest marital argument uh, from the pulpit, and some people said I needed to stop that. But I just <laughs> was I, that your wife? <laughs> probably, uh, because I uh, I frankly was scared to death. People might put me up on a pedestal, and I might get ruined. And uh, I don't know. We got to find ways to to get off the pedestal. And then thirdly, uh, you know, you and me and some other pastors did this back in the Life on the Vine days, where we used to meet together regularly and speak into each other's lives. Uh, no hierarchy. We we forbid 
any hierarchy among the pastors. It was a, it was a, I I refused to be called senior pastor. It was a mutuality, a polycentric leadership. We said that in front of the church. And, and I felt like that set the tone that you need to talk to me about anything you need to talk to me about and vice versa. How did you experience that whole thing? You got anything to add to those, those experiences of how to avoid the leadership uh, culture of distancing and being isolated from sanctification in your life? Yeah, and I, I think these could be applicable even beyond a pastor just to Christian living, maybe in the business world. But uh, how do you break down hierarchies? Well, uh, you, if you are the perceived or actual leader, uh, you should uh, admit, admit like your faults first. Uh, don't wait for supposed subordinates to kind of fess up about how they've blown it. You know, you can own, own the blame and then give away the credit is kind of what I'd say. Repentance. Yeah. Model repentance. But then also like give away the credit. Don't always seek to be, to receive the credit for a good idea or for something to have gone well, because, you know, even if you were the engine behind it, like give credit away to other people. These are ways that we kind of, um, chisel down kind of the the mountain of hierarchy bit by bit is just by little ways of kind of giving away power, giving away credit, um, but then receiving and accepting blame um, and repenting and, and confessing. I think those those are a couple ways uh, where we, a couple little ways where you can kind of do that work and that can work um, in any size system, whether it's a small local church or some multi-campus uh, mega church. Um, and so... But we've been focusing primarily then on kind of the individuals. How do we as people kind of refine our character through different practices? But what can the institutions do? What can the church do? What can, where has it gotten off track? Why has it been, has it been taking its cues from, from other places? All right. I don't know if this is where you're going or not with that. I was trying uh, to give you kind of whole like corporate takeover yeah, nature of the yeah, American yeah. business church. Yeah. Well, was that is, not a good lead is, in? No, I guess it was. I didn't, I didn't catch it right away, but sometimes <laughs> that's, that's happens a lot actually. Uh, but, uh, okay. So, uh, I deal a lot with this in this chapter that I keep free. Uh, by the way, I wrote this chapter entitled when evangelical pastors end up in moral failure, the missing link between the pastor and the virtues. And I, I center it on the idea of leadership. And uh, we're going to offer a free copy of that chapter to anybody, anybody free of charge. Uh, we're going to actually, we can just post it on the uh, website. I think right? We're going to post it on the show notes. So you'll be able to get it straight from your app. You can email it to yourself or, and then you can buy the rest of the book. If you still like it, the great giveaway, reclaiming the mission of the church. This is over 15 years ago I, I wrote this book, but uh, ironic that we're, we're talking about it It today. was in the shadow of Willow Creek, even it, when we planted Life on the Vine. But uh, anyways, uh, I want to talk about uh, the culture of leadership that shapes or, let's put, trains them to be effective leaders. And this business culture of being effective leaders along the lines of an American corporation uh, because it it basically does a couple of things. Uh, first of all, it, it describes leadership as a world where technique and skill, if you can just get the right techniques, the right principles, uh, you can control the outcome of an organization. And so two things happen. There's an imaginary here. We see the world. We get trained into this, this world where we're in control. This is not the world of God. 
uh, the lordship of Christ over the world. This is the world where I'm in control. I get trained to think I'm in control. That if I do A and B, I will get C. I will get 10% growth if I'm just a good leader. And I contend that this effective leadership you know, trains these pastors to be control freaks over their church, so much so that they can't allow conflict to reveal that they have a problem. But they have to take control of the conflict and do it in a way that uh, that creates an outcome under their control. This whole uh, effective, efficient leadership model creates a distance, and it does not allow for the space to deal with sin in your life and deal with all the way, ways God is working. It's, it's folks, uh, I categorically uh, uh, proclaim this to be a disease of the church that has hemmed God in, has kept him from working, and has created control freak leaders that can't listen to women when they say to him, look, that was inappropriate. What you just did violated me. Oh, it can't be because I'm in control and I'm the greatest guy in the world. This kind of culture is we have to get rid of this culture. And that's why I'm kind of disturbed. You know, I put this on my Facebook today and I want your reaction to this. Um, uh, so this is like Fitch versus Holesclaw now. Yeah. Fitch. <laughs> Instead of Fitch versus no, Fitch. Actually, it's Holesclaw and Fitch agree on this. One <laughs> thousand percent. I said this um, more interesting then the resignation of the entire Willow Creek Elder Board and the remaining pastor, Heather Larson, is the continuance of the Willow Creek Global Leadership Summit without similar reflective repentance. By the way, I heard they did reflect on the failure of Bill Hybels, but I believe, and I heard a report today on the Global Summit, so I wasn't there, so I'm just surmising. If I'm wrong, I already repent. But I heard that they basically attributed it to a moral failure of an individual than the moral failure of a leadership structure and culture as promoted by GLS, Global Leadership Summit. And so what I said is, I think the leadership structures as promoted by GLS shape leaders for moral failure of some kind. And I would suggest that this GLS needs a significant examination as to what they're doing and how it shapes leaders for this kind of moral failure. Um, I, uh, the leadership culture and the business models that it operates under have been a complete theological disaster as far as I'm concerned. Amen. I think so, too. But I want to step back even further and say it's not just... Willow Creek, seeker-sensitive churches, business-oriented churches and cultures. I think it really is um, kind of a, an influence, I almost said, infection of the American entrepreneurial spirit um, and kind of our whole culture and history is that we celebrate um, the exceptional. We have a hero worship, celebrity culture, uh, such that people with high gifts, and so Dallas Willard talks about how there's often a mismatch between our gifts and our character, or we could say are our, our the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. So the gifts of the Spirit, you know, articulate communicators, great teachers, compelling vision casters. Um, those are gifts of the Spirit in one sense, and yet we're also called to develop the fruit of the Spirit, um, which is our character. And we need to bring into alignment our our gifts and our fruit. 
the gifts and our character. You act like we can do that. We need to bring No, but that's but I've been saying the spirit the whole time. Uh the spirit is the one that cultivates these things, that cultivates our character, but it is us and I think it's us in the institutional sense and so often we can find a person who has such great gifts and those gifts when used then can build the system that we're a part of and so we want to make sure those gifts but then we lose sight of the character or the spirit the the fruit of the spirit are the developing love, joy, peace, patience kind of things. Uh, right? And self-control, which is the last gift of the Spirit, self-control. And when it comes to the three big sins, whether it's sex, money, or power, that's a loss of self-control, right? Yeah. So how can we bring into alignment the gifts and the fruit? Um, and this I, isn't I just, just want to throw a little uh, edge, uh, a, a little crack in, in the wall here, uh, your wall of this argument. I, I want to suggest that what uh, leadership culture does is it separates uh, the skills of pastoral ministry from the gifts of the Holy Spirit, pastoral ministry. So you're operating. You cannot, folks, you can operate. If you're a gifted public speaker, not to be confused with the gift of proclamation and preaching, you can build a church on that energy, but I'm not so sure it's the spirit at work. And so I think often what leadership culture does is it separates the techniques and the skills of someone who could be a good leader in uh, the megachurch world from the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's where it all goes wrong. And that's where I think the gifts of the, the fruits of the Spirit get lost. But anyways, that's a subject for our, uh, another So a podcast. return to the Spirit-filled leadership of Acts. Absolutely. All right. Well, hey, before we get to our big news for oh, I got uh, the one more thing. I oh, want you got one more thing on. Yes. Okay. I want to su- suggest to you, and, th- and I've been arguing this for years. There's been some people that have been said, well, I, I guess egalitarian understanding of the genders in ministry didn't turn out so well at Willow Creek. I want to argue, folks, this is this this is a glaring reveal that when we, I'm talking now, the we is us men, invite women into ministry on our terms, the terms of hierarchical, effective, skilled uh, celebrity leadership, uh, when we invite women into basically men's patriarchy, bad things happen. And even women come into the leadership uh, under the allure, oh, I could be that. And we end up creating this monster. But actually, um, we need to, uh, again, go back to mutuality, polycentric leadership, no hierarchy. We lead in mutual submission one to another, where we become the first gifts in, and I write about this in Faithful Presence, the first gifts that set into motion the rest of the gifts. And if this is the case, then uh, it looks totally different than men than men inviting women to come into leadership on their terms. I think we need to get rid of that. And when I argue for men and women in ministry, I mean men and women in ministry together and the removal of all patriarchy, all hierarchy, and us together in ministry together. Can you just make one more comment before we move There's beyond? No comment. That I agree with that wholeheartedly. And do you see how this really teaches us what a disaster it is when women are invited into a man's orbit and man's patriarchy and how they get set up to become abused by this system? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. All right, yeah. you're you're not you're you're you're. I don't know what you're thinking about right now. <laughs> uh, well, what I'm thinking that's a whole other podcast, and we've done that podcast a couple times, and I agree. So I don't have anything to add. Uh, it's just that Willow Creek is the reveal on that issue, and I want everybody to wake up. And so, are we going to wrap this up by saying, "Oh Lord, can we pray that this become the start of something new, a new let's call it a revival?" Because in this case, the revival is a, an accurate term. Revive what was lost. And call the church in the mission and get rid of this, uh, all, all these things we've talked about and call uh, the church back to local engaged ministry. Okay, maybe I should put it this way because right now I'm feeling a little self-conscious. Should, should we wish for the end of the mega church? <laughs> I have come to the place where I no longer wish for the end of the mega church, although I'm very hesitant and concerned that distorted views and practices of the kingdom flourish in megachurches. But I've also come to the place that you can have really screwed up small churches too. Uh, we all know And the so same. sin will exploit any opportunity that we give it. And maybe I would say that megachurches tend to Exasper- offer exacerbate more opportunities for that. But I think God does a lot of good work through megachurches or at least through small pockets yeah. and areas of megachurches. So that was a great way uh, and a great measured way to say... Let's learn from Willow Creek uh, as to how to be faithful to being the church of Jesus Christ. And let's not throw everything. uh, Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Amen. Amen. All right. So before we get to our big theology and mission podcast news, let's do uh, one of our standard staples. What you're reading. So what am I reading? I just picked up this great book uh, called Conformity to the Image of His Son. This is about Paul's Theology of Glory. It's by Haley Jacob. Uh, It's her dissertation that she wrote with uh, N.T. Wright. But it's this great exploration of what does glory mean in uh, Paul's letter to the Romans? And then how does it connect with being conformed to the image of God, which is um, from Romans 8.29? And uh, she talks about how uh, she kind of debunks a lot of faulty ways of, that we understand glory or glorification. And she kind of comes down, which I think is just brilliant, this idea that the glory of God and then the glorification of humanity really mean this one thing. It means the restored human vocation of ruling over creation. So humans, when they're glorified and when God receives glory, it's because humans have now taken have returned through Christ to that place that Adam and Eve had to rule over creation and that God's glory and the glorification of humanity occurs when that happens in Christ. And so it answers this one question. A lot of times, Dave, you're a New Testament scholar back in the day. A lot of people say, well, Jesus preached the kingdom, but then Paul comes along and he only talks about Jesus. He never talks about the kingdom. And the brilliance of Jacob's book here is to show, well, there's kingdom language that Paul uses, he just uses the word of image and glory to speak about God's kingdom coming to earth in Christ and through humanity. It's brilliant. I love it. So that's what I've been reading. Wow. Yeah, uh, I know. That was a lot. That was like a whole uh, theology class. Why don't you give us a lecture for <laughs> that me? That was sake. a whole theology class uh, I will say in this, one book uh, review. Uh, I kind of was offended uh, when you said he used to be. He used uh, to be. New Testament <laughs> scholar. Uh, uh, so I've been going back to reading. So uh, all I, you heard in that whole review was how all, you were yeah, offended. Well, okay, well, got Once it. you said he I used to it. be a New Testament scholar, everything else uh, <laughs> I, I shut down on. Um, so there's this book uh, by Ivan. Or it's actually written by David Cayley, but it's uh, The Rivers North of the Future. Uh, 
the New Testament of Ivan Illich. And I just love, I, I've been going back to this John Massimia, uh, a uh, Canadian uh, doctoral, uh, actually graduate of our program in contextual theology, he used Ivan Illich a lot in his uh, dissertation with us. But uh, this was two years ago, and I've just been going back to it because Ivan shows how the desire to control uh, has really perverted Christianity into what has now become modernity and shows all the ways the desire to control God and systematize what God would do in your life through the spirit is really not only uh, uh, undermining the work of God in the church and in the life of Christians, but it's created this modern society. And it's very illumining for someone who wants to uh, penetrate through the uh, problems of, of post-Christendom and, and Christendom, and it's, and it's the way it's kind of malformed us to lead Christian life. So I love that book. The other thing I want to say is I've just been reading Marcus Bartz. I'm writing a book, too, uh, Holtzclaw, and uh, Marcus Bartz' uh, Anchor Bible Commentary on Ephesians has a section on fullness uh, that talk that, that reveals this word, pleroma. Paul uses it at the end of chapter 1 to describe the church as the fullness of Christ who is, fills all in all. It just describes so importantly how the presence of the living God in Christ fills the church in the same way that God filled the temple and how that impacts the way we engage the world where God is present as well. Uh, it's only 10 pages, but I've been reading it now for like the fifth or sixth time here in the last month. McKnight says I don't read the Bible or study the Bible hard enough. But McKnight, I've read <laughs> Marcus Bart's commentary on this word five or six times. It's 10 pages. I think it's worth everybody who wants to study Ephesians and ecclesiology to read that same thing. So that's what I'm reading. Excellent. Excellent. Well, on to the big news uh, for Theology and Mission and for the Holst Clause. Uh, we've been ministering at Life in the Vine for 15 years. We've been there for even a little bit longer, and that's where a lot of the stories that Dave and I uh, riff on come out of and then the different church plants that came out there. And we have loved serving there and ministering there um, for the last 15 years, but we just this last month took a call to a church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, to the Vineyard North, a vineyard church there, um, through a student here at Northern Seminary, Mike Beefus. And so we're moving there in just a couple weeks. We're super excited. Uh, we put together a, a website, or not a website, but a, a page on my website uh, with all the details. I, I'll put that on, on the show notes. But we're leaving in just a couple weeks, and so I'm actually stepping down as uh, in my position as the director for the Theology and Mission Program, as well as some of the marketing and recruitment that I've been doing here at Northern. But I am hoping to keep some of my teaching load which is exciting because I love teaching. But the news for the podcast means is that this very well might be my last podcast, at least as a host. Maybe you'll have me on as a guest. Uh, but at least as a host, this might be my last podcast. Well, you need to figure out he some details. Might, it might be, eh? I will. I'll be doing it remote. If I were to, if we were to keep this up, it'd be remotely. We wouldn't be in person, and so that might be difficult. So we're, we're still trying to figure out details. I'm just saying it might be our last one, but maybe not. So... So first of all, thanks for all your good work here at uh, Northern Seminary. You have done an amazing job in all you've done here at Northern Seminary. So if there's any seminaries up there in Grand Rapids, 
uh, be alert, Holzclaw's in town, and he's a <laughs> huge resource. Uh, you've also done a great job leading Life on the Vine. Uh, you know, I think of my departure there, which is, I think, almost four or five years now. Um, and uh, you and I worked, you know, so many years together. Um, yep. We pray uh, for that church now <clears throat> as uh, they'll be sorting out what it means to... Uh, to uh, pursue the kingdom without the holes clause. Um, but we also pray a blessing on your new ministry. We know, uh, you, you know, you and I have been talking about this for a while as to your calling. And we just pray everybody at the Theology Mission prays for uh, a blessing on your new role there in Grand Amen. Rapids. Amen. I'll take it. And I'll just say this. I don't know uh, how we're going to sort with a podcast will continue. It will continue. First of all, Holes Claws got me addicted to doing a podcast, so it's going to continue. I don't really know how it's going to work with you being there in Grand Rapids, but it's entirely conceivably possible that we can do this via remote. We'll see. But until then, folks, stay tuned. Uh, We'll be back in September in some way, shape, or form. All right, so this is the Theology and Mission Podcast wrapping up Season 3, although this is kind of like a bonus summer episode. Uh, but thanks for Leadership every chapter from Great Giveaway is going to be posted on the uh, show notes. Absolutely. And uh, we love you out there. We love you, Holesclaws. Blessing on you, the family. Um, Soren, Tennyson, Sid, you. Uh, may the Lord bless you. And uh, we will see everybody in September. It's over and out.